we had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, I, I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 1,405 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Melissa from Cutting Through the Matrix. Melissa's once a fortnight. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great after that long talk that we just had. <laughs> you know, that was, we t that was a we, lot of fun. We just talked an hour to warm up for the recording, which is uh, that did. may be a record for us. And everything we said, we said, well, we're not going to talk about this on air. And yeah. it was a great, really you know, genuinely great you know, conversation. We nor Yeah, it was. We normally go uh, down the road of, of recording the prep sessions now for like sound check and stuff because, mm -hmm. you know, that. But with you and I, we don't do that uh, because <laughs> usually we're well, usually we're too pressed for time uh, on the days that you come on. Yes. So, yes. so we don't do that. What a great prep session that would have been. <laughs> that would have <laughs> been great. Uh, but no, it was a, it was a good conversation all the way through. Uh, I, I and I learned I learned some things and you're going to send me some information and I sent you some information and that's what we do. You know, yeah, that's, that's all. That's I, all I learned some things, too. I got to ask some questions that I had been wanting to ask. And yeah. And you know what? I told you something that you told me over a year ago and you uncovered a nasty little secret in all that, yeah. that I told you about. So, yeah. But you're and we, you're going to publicly expose that at some point. Oh, yes, I am. As soon as I am yeah. sure that that's what is going on. Yes, oh, yeah. absolutely. Uh, right. That That is going to happen. You better believe it, because I'm hopping mad about that. And so are the other guys here, because that kind of thing should not happen. That that should. I, not I tell you, no, when I when you almost anything that one decides to research, it can end up uncovering one thing after another that you just go, what, what? I can't believe that this is happening. And it is because most of reality is laid out behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I showed you a nice little tidbit that I found on dear old Henry. It, yes. <laughs> that guy, as, as I said in, in our soundcheck time, I said, that guy's into everything. He's into absolutely, or he was, you know, he's burning yeah. in the, you know, the, the hot spot now, uh, or at least I think, you know, I, one would think. If there's uh, where else would he justice. be? Yeah, where else would he be? You had mentioned uh, the World Economic Forum and prep. I thought that we would start with some lovely audio from what's going on down there. Uh, okay. Shall we start with, let me see. Uh, should we start with dear old Klaus? Should we start with him? Uh, Let's I mean, do he is, it. He is the chair, the, the chairman, or is that what he calls himself? Chairman, chairman, the, the, the chairman. I don't know, like Chairman Mao or something. Is that why? Why not? Yeah, the chairman is good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Here's dear old Klaus. So steeply transformative challenges, which are actually the cornerstone of our program, lead to uncertainty, generalized fear, and pessimism. They force us into a mode of short-term crisis management at the detriment of long-term strategic and sustainable solutions. This reactionary approach undermines our collective face in the future. And here we losing the face of our future, we risk to become much more ego-centered and on a, on a national and individual level. To break this cycle, we need a paradigm shift. We must rebuild trust, and that's actually the theme of our meeting. We have to rebuild trust, trust in our future, trust in our capacity to overcome challenges, and most importantly, trust in each other. Okay. Klaus says we have to um, avoid this egocentric path that we're on. We have to rebuild trust. How do you rebuild something you never had? It's interesting, the choice of trust as where he launches in on that speech, because the Chinese social credit system, mm -hmm. when it was launched in China, I, I don't remember the year, 2000. 15, 16, some trial balloons, 17, 18, it picks up steam. We start to catch wind of it and to, you know, somewhere around that window. Mm -hmm. But the whole idea of the Chinese social credit system, the way that it was sold to the Chinese people is we have to rebuild trust. Our transactions have to be trust based. We have to trust each other. And of course, you know, scandal after scandal, government corruption, 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 corruption within the Communist Party. And people are saying, well, we don't, we can't. And, you know, and, and the, this whole um, crooked politician, crooked government official trickles down to the people. And you've got all manner of corruption going down the supply chain, if you will. So this is what they say that the Chinese social credit system is. If you've got a good social credit score, you are trustworthy. And of course, they minimize the surveillance total control aspect of it by saying this is really no different than what the West has, particularly in America, where you've got a credit score, your, your financial credit score. How many credit cards do you have? How much debt do you have? How many assets do you own, et cetera? Well, this is about trust. And the interesting thing is that Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, once you go down the Bitcoin or the digital currency rabbit hole and that whole way that that whole and the the word of what that uh, that kind of transfer of information is because it's more than coin but i i can't pull that up into my head right now but all of the major thinking and research behind that is from the world economic forum and why because we need transparency in our transactions we need to trust 
the transaction. And the only way that you can trust the transaction is if you have total transparency. Clarity. Isn't that what, uh, what's her name? Uh, what Pippi or whatever, Pippa or whatever she's, she said, well, no, we need clarity yeah. on every transaction. <laughs> yes. That's what we need. Yeah. Yes, yeah. clarity. We've got to be able to uh -huh. see what you're doing on every uh -huh. single transaction that you make. Uh -huh. Oh, are you doing business with that person over there that does not have a good social credit score? Well, see, that's going to hurt you too. Who thought uh -huh. this was a good idea? I, I hear nobody even clamoring for, well, I, I made this point uh, on yesterday's podcast about uh, electric vehicles. There's nobody clamoring for those. I, I see no consumer base saying, no. uh, apart from the odd crazy person saying, oh, everybody needs electric cars. I hear nobody saying the same thing about digital IDs or social credit or digital money or, or what, you know, whether that's Bitcoin or something else. I know that we have uh, forms of digital money now, you know, bank cards, debit cards, things like that, or credit cards, whatever. But I hear nobody clamoring out saying, oh, no, we need to do everything with one digital ID. We need to do this. We need to we need to do uh, vaccine passports. I don't remember anybody even saying anything like that other than these people that are sitting on the stage down there. That's right. And and the people the the people who early jumped on to different kinds of digital currency, the whole idea behind Bitcoin, they jumped onto it because they felt that it was going to give them control. And it was actually going to give them an element of privacy. And it was going to give them the ability to make a transaction without Big Brother monitoring or being aware of everything that you were doing. But those people who have championed the beauties of that, it's the same, the same mindset or mentality that would champion the wonders of the Internet. Oh, how wonderful it is. It's peer-to-peer -peer communication, peer-to-peer -peer currency exchange. It's all, well, that's not what is happening. Someone controls the internet and someone will control it, whether it's the, whether a transaction that you do on the internet is broken up into a billion packets of information uh, that get rerouted in a way that you and I could never follow the trail of. But trust me, people can. Well, yeah, the blockchain, for example, you know, people think that that's Bitcoin what is, I was trying to think of blockchain, yeah, yeah, but blockchain. I couldn't it's, get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's it's just one of yeah. those things. But um, yeah. it's it's that way. People think that to your point, people think that that Bitcoin is somehow anonymous. It is not. Everything, no. all of your transactions are are logged on there on the blockchain. It's there, mm -hmm. and once it goes into the blockchain, it's not coming out. It's there. No. That's right. So, so these arguments yeah. that they make about, oh, well, we need to crack down on this or we need to crack down on that. You know, when you hear one of these these finance people saying that uh, or one of these government, uh, whoever they stick out there to say that we need to crack down on this because this is the, you know, the currency of like uh, kidnappers and terrorists and whatever. And it, it's like, well, why don't you just look at where the transactions are going? You can see everything. So what, what's yeah. the problem? So now yeah. what kind of a credit score, since you're talking about social credit, uh, the Daily Mail did a piece on this. Um, the cocaine, the caviar and the prostitutes <laughs> that are being trucked into Davos <laughs> for the mm -hmm. annual meeting. Um, mm -hmm. What kind of social credit score would they have? I wonder. Uh, I, I wonder. Well, of course, you know, we all know they're going to get their own special, you know, little green codes <laughs> and everything's going to be fine uh, because they're rebuilding trust, you see. And you've got to have okay. all of them there to, to rebuild all that trust. Yeah. So some CEOs and dignitaries. All right. Caviar. $1,000 a bottle of champagne. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, the cheap right. stuff. Yeah, the cheap stuff. The stuff you just dump out on the floor, you know, because it's just so terrible. I saw a journalist uh, right now who is down there. They, they, flew, they, they flew in to get a plane ticket 
to get in there right now. You're not going to believe this. To get a plane ticket to get in there right now, this is the only time that plane tickets cost what they do, cost 25,000 US dollars to get in there right now. And if you want a, uh, a hotel, if well, a room, you can't get a hotel room because they book out all the hotels, right? They Because mm-hmm. you know, Davos is Davos is a ski town, you know, ski resort uh, area. And so it's normally just reserved for like ski goers, you know, mm-hmm. Al- people that ski on Alps and stuff like that. But this time of year, obviously, they book out everything for all of the people that are going to be there for the meeting. This person could not get a room anywhere near. So they had to go 30 miles away and they booked an Airbnb for two weeks. And that was an additional 10,000 mm. just to be there to cover it. So 35 grand just to get there and have a place to sleep and, you know, look after yourself, not including food and everything else, which, you know, those prices are going to be skyrocketing through this time as well. But that is to keep people like you and I out of there mm-hmm. is all that's for. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, look at them. Look yeah, at yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Some of the photos. Uh, yeah. Well, you, just, you see the help there. Yeah. They got the mask on. Yeah. You see, I like, uh, yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, that's nice. Yeah. I cannot imagine smoothing yeah. in the midst of all this. Like that just that yeah. just makes me sick just looking at it. If you are um, eating the caviar and drinking the champagne and hanging out with the prostitute, evidently you don't need to wear a mask. You're above disease. But if somebody is serving you a platter of little pancakes and caviar, oh, they better be masked up. It's the oh, commoner. You, uh, you see, you see, you get a private performance from Lenny Kravitz, too. You see that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Isn't yeah. That, isn't that great? Yeah. Don't you want yeah. to be there for that? Oh, goodness. Uh, no, there's one. Of, there's one of the uh, the ladies. Yeah. I'm, of questionable profession. <laughs> oh, I have yeah. no question what her profession is. No, I have is. no question about that either. No, no, there's not, none whatsoever. Um, but yeah, that's that's what's going on down there. So anyway, that's yeah. I, I wonder what kind of social credit score they're going to have. Now, you see, they're there to build, rebuild trust. Yeah. And they they're, they're so stressed out that they're going to need to unwind after long, hard days of discussion. Mm-hmm. how they're going to ruin your life. <laughs> so, That's right. you know, they've got to, uh, they've got to unwind. Uh, and speaking of which, speaking of unwinding, um, I have some bad news. John Kerry is going to be stepping down as, as Biden's climate czar. I can, I can hardly contain my grief uh, of all of that. I think he's at the meeting right now. Uh, he will speak. Oh, he's at Davos. Uh, I believe he is. Yeah. Uh, and he's, ah. he's probably going to speak, but I wanted to get over to, um, to Von der Leyen. Uh, I have a clip of Ursula von der Leyen, you know, that lovely lady that runs the, uh, the EU there. Well, uh, before we go over there, let's not forget to add in that Kerry is stepping down as climate czar so that he can manage or contribute to managing Joe Biden's re-election campaign. That's the excuse given. Okay. <laughs> All right. Does Joe Biden even know that he's on the ballot for re-election? Does he, does, I doubt does he it. He's on the ticket? Yeah, I, I doubt, I doubt it, too. it. Right. Ursula von der Leyen on, oh, we've got to have a got to have global collaboration to tackle misinformation and disinformation. Uh. For the global business community, the top concern for the next two years is not conflict or climate. It is disinformation and misinformation, followed closely by polarization within our societies. These risks are serious because they limit our ability to tackle the big global challenges we are facing. Changes in our climate and our geopolitical climate, shifts in our demography and in our technology, spiraling regional conflicts and intensified geopolitical competition 
and their impacts on supply chains. The sobering reality is that we are once again competing more intensely across countries than we have in several decades. And this makes the theme of this year's Davos meeting even more relevant, rebuilding trust. This is not a time for conflicts or polarization. This is a time to build trust. This is a time to drive global collaboration more than ever before. This requires immediate and structural responses to match the size of the global challenges. I believe it can be done. Um, there's a lot to unpack there, but I, I'm going to start with this one. She said that the most important challenge that we face is uh, global collaboration to combat misinformation and disinformation. It is not climate. Yet in her next sentence, she says one of the biggest challenges we face are cli- is our climate. Um to deal with the impacts of global supply chains. Well, the uh, the impact of the global supply chain is wreaking havoc on that in the Red Sea at the moment. Uh, and I don't know if you want to even get into that, um, but they're doing nothing to deal with that, uh, except for the old man got out of bed the other night uh, to, to deal with it around 2.30 in the morning. And then we're somehow going to uh, deal with our, our demographic problem, but we can talk about wide open borders and what's going on with that. Um, you're in the process of reading Quigley's book again, uh, you were telling me in in prep, and I was going over, I told you I had to pull that for reference last week when I was uh, talking with Bruce about something on another subject. And I think Quigley's conclusion in terms of where we are, I, I, I'm in total agreement with his assessment on... Uh, where we are as a uh, as a civilization. So I, and we didn't actually discuss that part. Maybe we can get into some of that. But there's a lot to unpack in what she said. There, there is. Um, in prep, I mentioned someone that you weren't familiar with by the name of John Taylor Gatto. And he came up in a real history that I did a couple of weeks ago. I hadn't thought about him in a while. He came up again when someone else said that a gentleman who had done a long interview with him by the name of Richard Grove had put out a series of talks on tragedy and hope. And I wasn't familiar, I didn't think, with Richard Grove. So I looked him up and I realized that he had conducted an excellent interview with John Taylor Gatto back in, I think, 2011, that was nearly six hours long. And in that interview that he had, Gatto made some very interesting comments that kind of tie in with what she just said there. But he said, any time you have got some major crisis, whether it happened by accident and there aren't that many of those, or whether it is a manufactured crisis, this is used entirely as an excuse to shut down free speech. In fact, you might even say that the crisis was generated to shut down free speech. And the interesting thing, so that that was Gatto, and that's what he said. I, I don't remember at what point in the, uh, the interview, and I still am only in about, I, I listened to it when it first came out, but it's been all those years since I did, and there are a lot of good points in it. It's something like the underground history of America. It has different titles if you search for it on, on YouTube. But I think that that is a true statement. What I noticed when listening to some talks, I mean, Alan has always talked about the attacks on free speech for forever since he started to speak. 
And I think his observation was every year this gets worse. And one of the uh, talks that I was listening to recently from 2019, he was really stressing the fact that our ability to communicate freely has been so eroded to the point where we, we almost can't communicate. For instance, now we have lived through Operation COVID. And I think there there's a lot that you could say about that operation. You can talk about mRNA. You can talk about um, died suddenly. You, you can talk about masks versus no masks and lockdown and the fact that lockdown came into the a prison term came into the vernacular. The psychological I, aspect alone. Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, this was a huge trauma committed upon people. But I think at least for this conversation, I will just say that I that possibly the most damaging thing to come out of this operation is the total decimation, the complete destruction, the annihilation of free speech. We cannot talk about things freely. I will not be putting our conversation up on YouTube. And though it will go up on other channels, that does not mean that it won't be censured in one way or another, because the so-called free speech channels I have had reprimands from as well. So the ability to say what is so what is she what she is saying there when she talks about um, misinformation and disinformation and she ties it in with trust. My interpretation, my translation of that is you will have no free speech while we continue our agenda. And because you will not be able to speak freely with one another, and because those of you who think you are speaking freely are going to get splintered off into little rabbit holes of was there a virus? Was the virus made in a lab? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and therefore you're nullified because you've allowed yourself to be put in a camp and not rise above and think for yourself. So we're going to tell you what is acceptable to think. And after we've drummed that in your head for a few years, you're going to trust us because who else can you trust? Have you had on, on your point there of all the different uh, things you were naming, do, have you had any luck or have you tried to or, or do you post anything on the, the new Twitter platform? Do you do anything with that? Because that's supposedly, a you know, they, they took the, the reins off of that, uh, if you will. That's been one of the platforms that's since Elon Musk has taken it over. It's been kind of, I guess, more open, not, you know, not completely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, it's it's asking, really, I don't it's, know. No, it's, it's completely open. It's a wonderful platform. You know, he hired as his CEO, a woman who came out of. Yes, I did uh, see that. Right. Yeah. One of the big communication companies was at Warner's, I think, perhaps. But, um, you know, her whole thing during Operation COVID was she was basically on the panel the government appointed panel of key people who would weigh in on how to control the speech around anything during the COVID operation. And Elon Musk, the grandson of, you know, a, a leading proponent of technocracy, a made man, if ever there was a made man in the organized crime sense of the word. Yeah, I'm thinking there's a lot of free speech at X. 
I'm not on it, so I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. This is what I use I, it for. Oh, that's what I, you use it for. Oh, okay. All right. So, you're, so I, you are, well, what, no, you are I don't, on it. I don't pretend. I'm on it. And what okay. I do is I, re, I repost the things that I put up on other channels. That means okay. the, the Redux with Alan Watt, the excerpts clips, basically anything I put it on, on there. And I have actually had X remove a couple of things really okay that would have been my next yes, question have. have they have they pulled uh -huh. some things down from you and and what they have. give you a reason um one, one of them was just violating community guidelines oh, another yeah another one just simply blocked my upload from BitChute, and you know there was some drama it, it, it just it, they people couldn't see it so i've had a couple of things but I mostly, you know, every once in a while, if somebody says, oh, that that was good, I really enjoyed it. I'll say, oh, thanks. Thanks for listening. But I don't do a lot of communicating. I've reposted a few things that I thought were good that other people have said or written from a variety of sources, whether it was Agenda 2030 or transgender commentary, you know, so I have used it that way, but I do not for a moment pretend to think that this is a platform for free speech. Okay. No, that's, that's fair. I, like I said, I'm not on it. I don't know, but I have heard several people say that it's, it's better now than what it was under Jack Dorsey. So, I, I mean, I don't know. That's why I'm asking. My platform for free speech is my back patio. Your back patio. Okay. All right. You just go out there and you, face, you shout. Face, at, face to, at the, well, uh, yeah, I sometimes do, but face to face. If you were sitting out back with me and we were having a cuppa, then we could speak freely. Okay. But in yeah. no, Phones there's in the no other bag. platform. Yeah. Phones in the That's Faraday right. Bag. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's listen to uh, one of the uh, Harvard University representatives. You did hear about that lady, didn't you? The, the president of Harvard. Oh, yes, I did. But did yeah. you want to talk about Yemen? Yep. Yeah, um, yeah, we can talk. We can talk about Yemen. We we can talk about that. They, they dragged the old man out of bed the other night. I did hear about that. So the other night uh, when all of that was going on, the uh, the strikes and things that were going on there, uh, that happened in the middle of the night for everybody in the U.S. So everybody was asleep. Nobody was paying attention to it. And when everybody woke up, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how they do these things under the cover of darkness, if you will. I hate to use that phrase, but it's kind of how they do things. <laughs> um, but that's what they do. You know, worst deeds are done under the cover of darkness. But it was morning for me. I'm sitting here having my coffee and I'm thinking, what's going on here? What, what is all this? Now, uh, we are obligated to respond to this. But quite frankly, I don't think the situation should have gotten to that point in the first place. We have maritime protection out there for a reason. So it should not have gotten to that. Now, there are other groups such as the Saudis that are dealing with the um, <clears throat> problem group, if you will. And we have been supplying them with the tools they need for the last 20 something years to be able to deal with that. So why aren't they dealing with it? But instead, it is our problem to deal with. And so, yes, I did see. And of course, when they dragged old two scoops out of bed at 2.30 in the morning, and he was asked about it by uh, some reporter, you know, the, the pre-scripted staged question, he says, oh, yeah, we, we hit him pretty good. And we hit him hard. And that was it. And he slunkered out the back door. I, I don't know where else you, I, I don't know where else we want to go with it. But um, I don't see it stopping. It's it's going to continue because they're redirecting all traffic. They're either halting it or they're redirecting it down around the Horn of Africa now. So that's going to jam up our supply chain. It's going to cause prices to rise even further. Uh, and it's going to cause general shortages long term. Well, it's an interesting thing that I was reading last night in Tragedy and Hope where Quigley talks about capitalism and 
prices, and I, I don't have a, a financial economics head, but he's basically talking about what you've got are is goods and money. You've got goods and money, and you can drive the price of goods up. You've got inflation. You can drive the price of goods down. You've got the opposite of inflation. But what happens with the financial middlemen that get in there is that they see that there is more money to be made than the modest profit that can be made from the exchange of goods and services or goods and services for money, but by limiting the supply chain. If you limit this, and that made me think instantly about Operation COVID and the whole supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. Think of all the billionaires that were created during Operation COVID and think of the billionaires. We all saw those lists of the existing billionaires and how by how much more they uh, expanded their fortune. And at the same time, we were, be told, we were told, you can't have that because of the supply chain. So somebody was making a lot of money. Some bodies were actually, making a lot of money. Actually, it wasn't even just, you know, that product is not available. They were limiting. I, I remember talking to you specifically about this, and you said that you saw it going on in Canada, where they would they would prevent you from going to certain parts of the store to buy certain products that were clearly on Absolutely. The they were cordoned off. Yeah. You know, and at the dollar store in Canada... Some things that I would have considered essential, like a dish towel, was cordoned off, but the candy and chocolate aisle was wide open. Evidently, that was essential, you know, well, sugar being the drug that it is. You well, know. yeah, well, it was, well, yeah, yeah, it is. It's terrible. Uh, yeah. Or a corn syrup or whatever it is they, they stuff yeah. in people now. But it wasn't just that, but the casinos stayed open. The liquor stores stayed open. The mm-hmm. marijuana dispensaries stayed open. The strip yeah. club stayed open. But you yeah. couldn't go to an outdoor church service where the pastor yeah. was stand, where they literally, I saw this in Idaho, I believe it was, they, the pastor was standing up on a podium outside and had set up the system with a small FM transmitter and everybody in the congregation were in their cars with the windows up yes. listening to the yeah. service. Yeah. The police still came and shut it down because that was non-essential. Yeah. That's right. That's but you right. could go to you could go to a casino or a liquor store and that was fine. That's it. Yeah. So so I, I think that there are bigger things at play, but back to Yemen quickly because yes. it was my fault, I'm sorry. Well, no, that's okay. I just I believe steeped as I am in Alan's thinking. I believe that what we're seeing here has nothing whatsoever to do with the Houthis or the supply chain or uh, attacks on British and UK ships. I think that what is happening here is the West has to take out Iran. It has to be done. They've said they were going to do it. Wherever they've said that that you know, let's see, Wesley Clark's list, wherever they've said that things would be reduced to rubble, they are reduced to rubble or they are being reduced to rubble. And I think that that is what is happening. I, I do. It's because whatever, and we don't have to stay on this very long, but whatever you want to say about the Houthis and Yemen, the Information that we have is that the Houthis are a proxy of Iran. Iran must go. I'm not going to steal the thunder from 
who I believe could put this more eloquently than I ever could, and that is Senator Lindsey Graham. <laughs> I have to. I'm sorry. I have All to. All right. But to the Biden administration, when will you realize that nothing's going to change until you tell the Ayatollah, if you keep hitting us, keep going after Israel, we're coming after you. I'm not talking about invading Iran. They're a oil-rich nation. Knock out some of the refineries. Yep. Is it just me, or is he super aging in a very short period of time? Because he does I'm, not. I don't look think like... he's. I don't think he's super aging at all, Johnny. No? I think he's already no. been mummified. Well, okay, yeah, that is true. I I look at a lot of these people, and they do look like reanimated corpses standing up there. Yeah, um, uh, absolutely. What's her name? Uh, Diane Feinstein. Uh, well, she's down there next to Henry. I think she was being wheeled into the Senate. Did you see what she looked like in her final days there? She no, was, I didn't. Oh my goodness. No. She was 93, I think. Let me see if I can find the, the, the photo. All right. While you look for this, I am going to say an, yet another thing about Yemen and the U.S.-U.K. strikes. Okay, that is a frightful image there. Thank that you is so something. much. That is right at the end. This is a few weeks before she passed. And she was, of course, that's a photo op, but that's, I mean, that's what passes for a working senator, I suppose. Well, when I was looking into this, Yemen, I just happened to stumble on something that I, because I don't pay it, it's hard enough to have U.S. politics swim about in my head from time to time to keep up with who's doing what in the U.K. But do you know who the Secretary of State is right now in the U.K.? In the U.K.? Um, mm -hmm. David Cameron. That's right. You're right. Yes. Bing, ding, oh, ding, yeah. ding, 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 ding. You get yes, points, they, you get a gold they star. They dredged him yeah. up and brought him back. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. 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 So I, I missed that when it happened, but I heard him. And, and I think what is so interesting is that he is quite simply the right man for the job. So what's happening right now, this joint, you could call it the secretary of state equivalent to the Bush Blair pairing. He's just the right man to get the job done. The perfect fall guy. I, yeah. I agree. And if it all goes wrong and, and another regional war breaks out or, or a wider war breaks out, who do you think they'll pin it on? Mm -hmm. You know, just like they're trying to pin all the uh, the COVID stuff on Boris Johnson. He was just the fall guy. Well, Boris isn't down for the count, I'm sure. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Boris is. He, you know, he's a TV anchor now. Did you know he got his own show on a, on a British uh, alternative <laughs> alternative news network, which is funny because if you start looking back into the funding of something called GB News, you find the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. at Really? The heart of, oh, yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is funny. Yeah. Um, so I but, guess GB is just uh, Bill Gates, Gates Bill. Yes, Gates Bill. Yeah, yeah just, the it, Gates Bill Network. Around. Yeah, Gates. So Bill what is Boris's show? Is it about how to style your hair? Hair like I, mine? I is don't that the know. Title? I don't know. Or how to fill prams, I think. I, it could be <laughs> could be that. I don't know. Because according to Marty, he's got like, um, I, I think a whole bunch, there's a whole bunch of crazy haired blonde kids running around London. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all his. Um, but do you have a place you want to go next? Because uh, if not, I, oh, actually, you I, mentioned something about uh, uh, the Princeton. You were going to go to Princeton, uh, yeah, and I um, derailed Harvard. you with yeah, Harvard. Harvard. No, okay, let's go Harvard. to Harvard. Yeah, it was okay. the. Um, uh, there's a there's a lady from Harvard who was on the stage at Davos. Uh, she's basically she's talking about um, Twitter or X or whatever it is, uh, mm -hmm. saying it's such a toxic place. And, you know, it's a it's got this scary name and we need to take actions <laughs> that whatever. I can play that if you like. If not, the other thing that I was referencing and we talked about it last week. Did you see the Harvard president or whatever yes. she got? Did, did you hear about that? 
how she got yes. um, dinged for uh, plagiarism. Like she she yes. plagiarized her doctoral thesis and 700 faculty members came out and backed her after they heard about the plagiarism yes. and it was confirmed. Yeah. And she's going to stay on. She's resigned as the, as the president uh, or stepped down or whatever. And it doesn't matter because she's keeping her faculty position. They have not said what that is, but she's going to retain her $900,000 a year salary. Mm, yeah. I, I don't know what else to say other than why are you sending your kids to these institutions? You know, that, yeah. that's all I, 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 I mean, I, I think that that is a very uh, I think that is the question. But, you know, some somehow people have bought into the, the mythology that these schools provide good education for very, very, very few people will get anything out of the hundred thousand a year their parents spent on on that. It, what they come out with is just woke. They got a degree in woke. Yeah. What is interesting to me about the Ivy League schools, particularly in the U.S., and the whole leftist woke ideology is that the, I don't know if I should say this, but the left, if you look behind who the left is, it's interesting. It's interesting. And I'll leave it. I'll just say a that. A lot of money. There, there's a lot. There's a lot of money, but it's a type that's been around forever and ever. And the left has always, or I should say traditionally, come out bashing Israel, bashing Zionism. That's one of the functions of the left. So people were okay. I'm sorry. People were okay. They were just fine and dandy, including people on the so-called right, the GOP, the so-called conservatives. They were absolutely fine with the undermining of white male Americans. That was just fine with them. They were fine with promoting uh, gender insanity. That was a-okay with them. The complete... If you want to say capture, I don't know, the complete takeover of our institutions of higher learning that has trickled down all the way to elementary school, that has been okay with the right, with conservatives, with you name it. But the moment that the universities became associated with pro-Palestinian protests, the moment that they're institutional leaders appeared to have a bias against Israel, all of the sudden, these institutions of higher learning are anathema. And I just say, where were you in your criticism when they said a white man has no nothing to do except apologize for the rest of his life for being white and male? That is still racism. I, I don't know if anyone has actually told these people that. Uh, but that is that is still that it is. I mean, I'm sorry, but you're Johnny. The fact that you are trying to use logic just proves <laughs> yes, your true. white <laughs> male yes, privilege. My privilege. Yes, of course. <laughs> I should revo- uh, renounce the colonialism or whatever it is they say that I should do or, or something. Whatever. Give me a break with this nonsense. I think it's yep. the same. Also, uh, and I, I I know that you know this, uh, but just to add to your point there, it's the same. Also, they. The, the so-called conservative movement or whatever. And I was actually complaining about them last week again, uh, th- mm-hmm. this whole turning point crap, how they're just they're 
they're yeah. ruining, you know, any form of uh, of some type of grassroots movement that can actually form and, 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 you know, do something against this. This this showbiz, this political celebrity crap makes me want to throw up. They sat by the conservatives in America, the GOP or, or whatever you want to call it, the Republicans, whatever. They sat by when our churches got infiltrated with this nonsense, too. And they mm-hmm. they're, they're supposed to be the ones that are uh, going to, to church every Sunday, you know, for the photo op or whatever or in their communities, in their districts or whatever. And they said nothing when our churches mm-hmm. got taken over. They've said nothing to any of this. So it's just like the schools, as you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's a very strange thing. And this is not um, it's not a bash on Israel. It just means that the it seems to me that the only thing that upsets an American conservative is any criticism of Israel. That's it. Can't defend themselves. They cannot, they will not defend themselves. They can defend themselves. We've given them enough hardware over the last 50 years. You know, they, they can defend themselves. No, I'm not talking about Israel. I'm talking about oh, the American. Talking about all the Americans. Yeah. Okay. All right. Got it. Um, I was laughing in the initial stages there. I was clicked off. But you could see me laughing. I, I, I don't know why, but when you said something about Israel, it popped in my head. Um, uh-huh. Did you hear about these tunnels that they found in New York? I don't think I have. It was underneath. It was in the Hasidic Jewish community. And they found that these tunnels underneath like a um, uh, it was underneath a synagogue and it was leading to a mosque or something. And they found like people coming up out of it from the outside. You hadn't heard about this. You, you have not heard about this. Is it like an underground dreidel shop? I don't know what was going on down there. It's like the story was released. I've got to have my just, side curls fixed. <laughs> something. I, I don't know. It's they. I can't do it publicly. Yeah, th- this story. This was a story for like a day, and then it just stopped. It just disappeared. Uh, so I, I just. Yeah. I, I was wondering. Yeah, maybe we can look into that. But I, I haven't okay, talked about right. it yet. But uh, this is interesting because uh, this term was used again at the World Economic Forum. You have mentioned this term before. We've heard this term before, and people used to ask Alan about this term, and he would always say, New World Order. Which which New World Order are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Well, yep. this was used on the stage by the WEF president, Mr. Brinde. That order seems to know, know, uh, not be uh, the order anymore. We are on the way to a new order, so we are between orders. Um, do you agree with that, or are there ways of... Uh, what are we able to keep on the positive side from the old order to bring into a new world order? And how can we avoid that that new world order uh, becomes like a jungle growing back and we rather uh, have an order based on international law and the principles that have brought us prosperity and uh, freedom uh, for decades? I guess and maybe this is the, the old um, kind of teacher me coming out, I think of this a little bit more about a transition of eras rather than a transition of orders, but the two are kind of cousins of one another. The reason I draw the distinction is because I don't think the international order built after 1945 is getting replaced wholesale with some new order. Um, It will obviously evolve as as it has evolved multiple times over the decades since 1945. But I do think in a in a more sharp and distinctive way, we are moving into a new era. And that's what I talked about in my remarks that we are, you know, the post Cold War era has come to a close. We're at the start of something new. We have the capacity to shape what that looks like. And at the heart of it will be many of the core principles and core institutions 
of the existing order adapted uh, for the challenges that we face today. Now, I play that for a very important reason. You are going back and you're reading Quigley's book at the moment, Tragedy and Hope. Great piece of work for anybody that does not have that. I recommend you pick that up uh, if you can get your hands on it. I know sometimes those books are available in reprintings in a limited quantity. So if you see a copy, pick it up. But interestingly enough, uh, I was pulling that particular aspect. It's funny you said 45 because that's at the time when we should have done something called a reorganization. When he's talking about going forward, what he was meaning, he says, well, we're going to evolve. Well, that would imply that we're going to have to reorganize again and move Western civilization forward. I don't believe that's going to happen, to be fair. I, I'm looking at, at Quigley's assessment and how he's tracked things going all the way back to um, to 8,000 BC. And I don't, or 6,000 BC, I'm sorry, with Mesopotamia. And I don't see any reorganization taking place at all. I see us on a dead end road to nowhere, you know, with this green energy and this agenda 2030 and 2050. If you go and you look at just the, uh, the sustainable development goals from the UN, uh, which we did, a, I believe we did a three-part podcast on it last year or two years ago. Mm. Uh, we should probably do it again, uh, going over all of those because they change from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at just 2030 and you go out and you look at Agenda 2050, and there's another organization that is called the WBCSD. I don't know if I've told you about that before. It is It stands no. for the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. It is a sister organization to the World Economic Forum. As a matter of fact, as Bruce oh, you and I ha- were looking- You did mention it. I haven't looked, yes. I haven't followed up, but yes. yeah, you did. Well, everything with them is, it is game on 2050. It is 2050 and beyond. So that to our eyes right now, I'm assuming that the organization itself will morph into something else. I think it's set to take over after the WEF fizzles out or whatever, and they've got that ready to come online. In fact, they've got it so ready, it actually has an office right across the courtyard from the World Economic Forum. If you look at their vision of the future, I don't see any of that actually coming to fruition because, again, if we use logic and reason and common sense, I don't see any of that taking place because everything's based on this this green energy, wind and solar junk, you know, electric cars and, and all the rest of it. And I, I just don't see that as being a, a sust- I hate to use the word sustainable future. The interesting points at the beginning of Tragedy and Hope, when Quigley is talking about how civilizations, how there's a core of a civilization, and then the components that make up that civilization, they diffuse outward, and then you get a new core and it diffuses outward. There's a, a section there where he's talking about what he calls population pressures and how the areas that are away from the core, how they develop differently. And he talks about a population pressure point for Eastern Europe that is occurring about, uh, was it 1950, he said? And then then what he predicted would be a population pressure point for Asia in the year 2000. Now, some of that, if you want to look at population pressures, we always think about China as being overpopulated, but their one-child policy has given them a very skewed population. You know, they, they haven't developed naturally, so to speak. And Japan has had an aging demographic for a long time now so as, as being two big centers of Asia. And I think if you combine those pressures with what appears to be on the face of it an orchestrated, all-out, no-holds-barred attack on everything that makes up Western civilization. Now, Quigley makes an interesting point in his book. He said, Western civilization is 
in large part Western civilization because of Christianity. And then he elaborates on that. Well, what have you seen? Okay, you can go to a strip club, but you can't go and sit in your car and listen to a, right? So in many, many, many ways, another piece of um, research that I was doing around the end of the year or the beginning of the new year was the fact that Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world, again, for yet another year, has been the most persecuted religion in the world for quite a number of years now. And this is worldwide different, you know, whether it be in a some place in Eastern Europe, whether it be in the Middle East, it is a persecuted religion. So there's that, but there are other ways in which what we think of, again, that would go back to a woke thing, the... Uh, well, you can equate that the, to decay. Re, re, decay, talks. yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And invasion, like, like an invasion. It, yeah. He talks about invasion. Yeah. And what do we see? So what we're, what I think what we are witnessing is an orchestrated, planned, supported, helped along, sustained attack on everything that is Western civilization. And so who who is the victor then? Now, I'm not sure that what that Quigley's assessment of what would unfold, because he wrote this book and the Soviet Union was still in full swing. This is 1966. Yes. So, yeah. you, you know, did he get everything right? I, I don't think so. No. But was his prediction about what was going to happen in Asia, does this leave Asia then to be the ultimate victor? Because they have their own very unique problems as a civilization. Yes. I have not said this publicly yet, but I'm about to. Um, okay. I, agree, I agree with Quigley's assessment. Uh, and I, I was I was kind of leading up to this. But again, you know, you <laughs> because you started reading it again, this is what I was talking to Bruce <laughs> about last week. Um, I believe that we are looking at a civilization collapse of both East and West simultaneously. It's just a matter of which one's going to do it first. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm not an expert. I, I'm not a historian or, or anything like that. I'm just going by what I'm what I've read, my own research, and what we see on the ground that we can actually see with our own eyes. That's my opinion. Well, I think from based on what what you see that that is a good that is a good guess of what is going to happen, how it's going to happen because you can't point when you really pick up the <laughs> what was it that Mel Gibson said in the opening segment of Conspiracy Theory when he had the two nuns in the back seat? He didn't realize they were nuns. And he was talking about how you had to lift up the festering scab that was the Vatican. <laughs> it was, it's very yeah. funny if you haven't yeah, yeah. seen it. I, it's been a but long I think time if since you, I've seen that. Yeah. If we lift up the festering scab of what is going on, not what we're told via propaganda, but what we can actually research and see and know about Eastern Europe and Asia. There is a lot of decay and we don't see forward movement. If you, I hate to use the word progress, but there is not a, a strength and energy. In a different way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, what what yeah. I see is decay. Yes, I, I agree. And that's this is why I say I, I see decay in the East and you know, as a whole. I'm not I'm not just picking on China or uh, or Russia or Japan or, or Indonesia or whatever, uh, or parts of the Philippines. I'm not picking on them. I'm saying in general, and I look at all across the West and I look at the tracks that, that Quigley laid out and I don't see it again, it's just my opinion. I don't see it going any other way. I'm not 
I'm not trying to um, be a doom and gloom person here, but again, it's just my opinion. I, I see it as a, a collapse of both East and West simultaneously. I, I can see that. And if you look, I mean, if you compare Chinese civilization, I mean, let's face it, the U.S. is very, very young, but even Western civilization is young compared to you know what what you might refer to as china their their history their very old history yes very but old, nothing history nothing lasts forever that's going to be and for anybody that doesn't understand what i'm saying i'm talking i mean that's a that's a heavy pill to swallow for a lot of people and again like i said i have not said that publicly yet but i've been looking over the last 2 to 3 years extensively and and very intensively and i do not come to any other conclusion that's the best i can say to it well, I mean, just in terms of you don't want to freak people out or, you know, cause depression or something. I, I think the addendum here is that what what we're talking about, we're trying to take a, oh, I hate this word, but meta. We're trying to take a bird's eye view of history. You and you, you, <laughs> you know, I know. But we're looking at this as like armchair historians, try to get a big picture view of what is going on. But when you take it down to the personal level, and I think this is very important for people to understand, is Western and Eastern civilization going to collapse in front of your eyes this year? Well, no. And I, I mean, it, well, I, if I don't Lindsey Graham so. has anything to say about it, then yes. <laughs> But I mean, the important thing is, is that within this framework of, of civilizations that rise and fall, people have lives. They love, they have families, people die, they grieve, they try to hold on to some traditions that have meaning to them. They have joy, they have sorrow. I feel like I'm about to break into a Beatles song here. <laughs> but... I can get you a guitar. Maybe uh, maybe we can get Paul McCartney to drop by. Yeah, Seasons of the Sun or something like that. Yeah, something, yeah. Yeah. I think in order for him know. to be around, though, I think you have to be double vaxxed and boosted. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he'll get around you any other way. I, I, I like this. I was thinking about this the other day when I made the Redux video of, of Corporal Jonesy in the old British sitcom Dad's Army. He was always running around. Yeah, he was. It's great. It's great. He was always running around saying, don't panic, don't panic, no matter what was going on, don't panic. And I think that is important. You know, the victory in this world is to live. You know what? That is a great place to leave it because we are out of time. It's been a great conversation. Would you like to tell everybody what you've got going on with your latest podcast, what you've got coming up, what's going on on the website? Well, yesterday I uploaded a new listener-made video. Um, it's a new series called Signs and Symbols. And the first video to go up was All Seeing Eye. Uh, and uh, as always, there's you know, a real history on Thursday. There's you twice a month. There's the Redux every week. There's not sure. And, you know, so it's a it's it's my own little factory, if you will. The all seeing eye. OK, right. yeah, I, I have to admit, I'm curious. So I'll I'll check that out. Um, all right. Podcast. Yeah. You, you got uh, you got a new podcast coming out. When's the next one out? Uh, uh, the the next one out is tomorrow. And tomorrow. I am okay. speak. Yeah. It, it, it should be good. It's a personal conversation with a friend of mine and a friend of Alan's in Canada. Very good. All right. 
look forward to that. So it has been a great conversation as always. I will see you in two weeks, yes? Yes, great. Looking forward to it. Okay, again, that is Melissa from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I encourage all of our listeners to get over there and take a look at the treasure trove of information where they maintain the collected works of the late, great Alan Watt. Again, that is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And her podcast is Real History with Melissa. That is available everywhere you get your podcasts. It's been a great conversation, Melissa. Thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a great evening. 